I want to draw your attention to chapter 1, verse 13 through 19. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says this in verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And... He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. We pray with me, please. Lord, we just right now in Jesus' name believe that you are here, that your word, knowing that it is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, that you have promised where we gather in your name that you are in our midst. That, Lord, you would take this moment in time, this opportunity in your word to speak to us, your children, your people, for we need you now more than ever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So we're talking this morning about the deliverance of God and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And over the last several weeks, we've been uh, getting our feet wet in the book of Colossians here, recognizing again that the town of Colossae, the village, the area, is a place that the Apostle Paul had never actually been to, that he's writing this letter under house arrest in Rome and receives a dear brother and Lord Epaphras, verse 7, that comes and brings him news of this collective body of believers that that are amazing uh, in their response to the gospel and what's going on in their lives. That they uh, displayed a deep and convincing faith in Jesus Christ that they had displayed to Epaphras who's communicating this to Paul a love for all the saints they understood about the hope that was laid up for them in heaven down there in verse 4 and 6 and his purpose in, in writing to them now is Threefold, as I've explained in the previous studies, that he wanted to 
uh, inform them of his circumstance. He wanted to lead these Colossae believers into spiritual maturity. And above all, he wanted to be sure to uh, refute, uh, dispel the, what's known as, what was known as the Colossian heresy. And that heresy was uh, teaching that had arisen, which was a mixture of mysticism, Judaism, and a variety of things that corrupted and was threatening to corrupt the simplicity of the gospel message that the Colossae believers had embraced. And isn't it amazing today that there's, there's no shortage of uh, unscriptural teachers. Uh, there's no shortage of, of heresies as it relates to the truth of, of the gospel and the truth of scripture. That there's a plethora of individuals that will take a little bit of the truth of the Bible and begin to spin a variety of different uh, doctrines and teachings. And how amazing it is that in these last days, we're promised that even the elect would be deceived. Paul understood that then, 2,000 years ago. How important it is for us to understand and embrace it today. And so he's been leading up to, in these previous verses, uh, to do something intentionally by choosing to give them a more complete understanding of the deliverance of God and the supremacy of Christ. And hence he brings them and us to verse 13 where he says he. Now he's been speaking of the Father. Notice in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He, verse 13, grammatically he's referring back to God the Father. And he says, he has delivered us. Now, again, in the original language, this is something that comes out. Uh, you can get a, a Vines expository dictionary of the New Testament words. You can get something like a, um, a lexicon that helps define what, what this means. It says, he has delivered us. It's an action that took place in the past and carries forward into the present, has delivered. It's already happened. So the apostle is seeking to impart to the Colossae believer again the importance of recognizing the deliverance God, the Father, has brought into their lives already. Not that there's something yet for them to be delivered from as it relates to what he says is the power of darkness. Notice there, verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Do you know how powerful darkness is? 
you go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture and the beginning of the record of human history and time, actually, and what you could probably recite the verses for me, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and what? Darkness hovered over the face of the earth. What is darkness? Darkness is simply the absence of light. What is light? Light is the absence of darkness. And so in his creative genius and his creative manifold wisdom, God puts together the heavens and the earth and darkness hovers over the face of the earth. And what does God do? He says, let there be light. Original language, light be. And light was. And he saw that the light was good. And he divided the light from the darkness. And he called the light day and the darkness night. I mean, you go back to the origin source of darkness and how powerful it is. God understood in his creative genius that, that darkness needs to be Dispelled by light. Recently in a series called Understanding the Culture, apologetist William Federer, in his three-part series, talks about the manipulation of a nation. And he goes all the way back to pre, uh, before the time of Christ, back to 4,000 years back, and talks about civilizations, China, Egypt, the Middle East, and how this thing called the manipulation of a nation by restricting truth is something that has gone on for forever. It's, it's within the human nature. Human nature is, is uh, honor or greed. Honor or shame, rather. And we are motivated by one of two things in our life. Listen, very important. This was profound to me as I listened to William Federer say this. He says, we are motivated by one of two things. We are either motivated by greed or we are motivated by gospel. Those who are motivated by greed are uh, self-focused. It's how am I going to help myself get better? How am I going to get myself further on in this life path, career path, whatever? Those who are motivated by the gospel are concerned about the welfare of others. And when we talk about the Judeo-Christian value upon which every one of us sitting in this room this morning would probably say, well, yeah, I adhere to that. Do you know what the Judeo-Christian value is? The Judeo-Christian value is, is 
is the premise that every human being is uh, important to God. The Judeo-Christian value says that the individual carries significance in the eyes of God, that God looks at each individual, looks at you, 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 me, and says, you are significantly important in my eyes. Now, there is a culture out there that wants to change that and has for centuries. And as we live today, the culture has a variety of names. The names change over a period of time, but, but one of which you would all key in on is, is the word socialism, right? Okay, uh, 1894, not that long ago, Antonio Gramsci's 1892 wrote, he said that the Judeo-Christian value cannot be defeated on the battlefield. He was an Italian socialist. And he said that the Judeo-Christian value that every human being is important, you can't defeat that on the battlefield. They'll fight to the death. I.e., Revolutionary War, Civil War, etc., right? He says that what you have to do to defeat the Judeo-Christian values has to be rooted out from within. So go into the educational system, into the media systems, into the church systems, and into the military systems and root out that Judeo-Christian thought. If you can control the education, you can control the media, you can control the military, and you can control what's going on in the church, you can control a nation. Paul understood the importance of the light emulating living Breathing, existing within every human being. God the Father, he has, Paul tells him, delivered us from the power of darkness. And the darkness of the cultural idea wants to squeeze, listen, the light out of you and I. You ever feel like you're, you're a pilgrim here and you just don't fit? That there's a lot of things that, that go against your, your moral conscience? A couple of scriptures, I think we can put some of these up. Um, Psalm 18, 28, For you will light my lamp, the Lord will enlighten my darkness. Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those. Are we not living in a day and an age when, and it's not just today. I mean, look, I'm going to be 68 in September, 
So I've been watching this kind of go on for a while. I've been walking with the Lord for 40 years or so. And beloved, I mean, the, the cataclysmic level of the sway of the culture in which we live wants to squeeze the very light out of you and I by telling you and seeking to convince you through media, through education, through the military, and even influencing the church that, hey, just about anything can go. It's okay. God's all right with it. Isaiah 42, 16, I will bring the blind by the way they did not know and lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. The prophecy in Matthew 4.16 says that a people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Who is that? That was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And we know that in him, John 4 and 5, in him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's what you and I are fighting. It's not a physical uh, battle. It's a spiritual battle in which the mind, the soul, the, the psyche of an individual has been uh, saturated with the lie of the darkness of the culture in which we live. Listen. Now you and I can check out. We can decide to you know be the monk, and just let it's us four and no more. But if you work in the world, if you, you have a job, if you children in school, universities. I mean, I'm all for Christian fellowship. Don't get me wrong. It's an important thing. Can't live without it. Sometimes when you're without it for quite a while, true Christian fellowship, which encourages you to walk with God and you spend time with others that encourage you in that way and you've missed that for a long time, you, you have that. It's like, a, it's like drinking a cold glass of water on a hot day. It's like, refreshing. Okay, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that you and I are placed in this world and in today's culture, the media, the educational systems, our military, and even in some segments of the church are seeking Squeeze the light out. But God has delivered you. He delivered you from the power of that darkness. You and I don't have to submit to it. We don't have to fall prey to it. We don't have to be its recipient. The darkness that this culture is seeking to uh, 
prevail upon us. We, we have been delivered from it, from the power of it. If you have not given your life to Christ this morning, and you know that you, you're not sure if you were to stand before God today, that you've made Christ Jesus your Savior and your Lord. Don't leave these doors before doing that. Because what's happened is your mind is, is shrouded in, in darkness. If I told you 99% of the truth and I put 1% of a lie in there, have I lied to you? Right. And the enemy of your soul and my soul would want you to believe that there's a variety of things that you can do to be okay with God when in fact the scriptures are very clear that no man can come unto the Father except through Jesus Christ. And to the one who has given their life to the Lord, verse 13, the second part, Paul says to the Colossae, and the Spirit of God says to you and I, that God not only delivered us from the power of darkness, but he also conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Conveyed. The King James Bible translates that word translated. He has translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is given in the face of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. The only way you and I can dispel the threat of darkness continuing to pervade that light that exists within us is get to know Jesus very well. The only way the culture would ever change from being shrouded in the darkness of, of the lie is by the acceptance of Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. The culture's not going to do that. If you read uh, the story, it just gets worse from here. Do you understand this morning that you and I, and this is not original, but uh, again, William Federer said we are going to be pressed. The Christian is going to be pressed into a place where they must decide Christ or not Christ. Go back in history. When Jesus said to his disciples, he said, go to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2. He said, and wait there. For the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, right? That's what he said. Go wait, wait. Don't just run out there and start telling people about me. Wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then, and then, the Holy Spirit upon you, you'll be my witnesses, both in that local place where you live, 
the surrounding area and the uttermost parts of the world. Do you know what the word witness in Greek is? Martyr. You look at church history and 11 of the apostles were martyred. You fast forward into the first thousand, two, three, third century, you have Christians being killed and that martyrdom of Christians causes the church to thrive and grow. It thrives and grow and the, the existing culture or king or empires of the day don't like what's happening because it's a threat to their, their rule and their totalitarian concepts and so they kill again and that causes the church to grow and thrive, kill, grow and thrive, kill, grow and thrive. The church thrives in persecution. The Christian actually thrives in persecution. Beloved, if everything's going sweet and smelling roses right now this morning today, okay, great. None of us like to sign up for hardship or despair or or being persecuted. But listen, you know what will fuel your faith? Do you know what will fire your soul, Christ in you? Do you know what will cause the church to rise? Persecution. And Paul was clear that he wanted the Colossae believers to know who Jesus is. Do you know who Jesus is this morning? Do you know who he is? If you were to be put on the spot, hi, I'm the anchor person for Channel 32, great news for great people. Uh, Please tell us, what do you know about Jesus? What would you say? It is imperative that you and I know who Jesus is. We're told that in whom, talking about delivered from the power of darkness, conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom... Remember, now, he, now Paul went from the Father to the Son of his love. That's Jesus. In whom, verse 14, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The importance of the acknowledgement of the blood of Jesus Christ. Your works and my works will not get us into heaven. Your works and my works will not give us a favorable position before God. There is one thing and one thing only that gives us a favorable position in the eyes of God, even though each human being is significantly important in the eyes of God, the only thing that grants us favor in his eyes, the only thing is the blood of Jesus Christ. You go all the way back to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, right? And God wanted to just hang out with them and have communion with them and and have this wonderful time with them and and they bought into the lie and so God is a just God he has to deal with sin or he would not be just and again this is an original William Federer If, 
if God ignored just even one sin, then his silence would be an, uh, an agreement to that sin. If you tell a child, here's an illustration, I told you, uh, don't uh, touch that hot stove. And then the child does it anyway, and you're silent. Oh, he's going to touch it. Your silence is an agreement to that sin. God is, and, and God is a just God. He, he can't not deal with sin. So here's this, this man and this woman whom he loved, who he created, formed from the dust of the earth, and they sin. He's got to deal with it. And Satan, Lucifer, the, that supreme uh, worship leader up in the heavens, seeks to raise his own throne to, uh, to the throne of God, Isaiah 14, and gets cast out of heaven. He goes down to earth and he goes, see God, they sinned. You've got to deal with them. You've got to punish them. You've got to, you've got to judge them. And so what, what did God do? They went around and said, you know what? We can cover this up. Let's just get a fig leaf or two. Man's attempt to make man okay in the eyes of God. And it wasn't enough. God said, no. No, I'm, I'm going to slaughter an innocent animal. And I'm going to wrap that animal's skin, their fur, around your nakedness and cover your sin. Someone once said that maybe he even slaughtered the animal right in front of them so they could see the blood. Someone even suggested that maybe when they put the fur on, it still had blood on it. The blood, here's God over here, holy and just. Here's, here's mankind, his, his greatest creation. And what separates us from him is sin. And he says, something has to be done about that. And so he slaughters an innocent animal. Abraham is on his way to the altar because God had asked Abraham, to, I, I just want to test that you really love me. I, I know your heart, Abraham, but I, I need an action that will prove that I'm first in your life. And so Abraham is on his way with his son Isaac to Mount Moriah, the, the place of the altar, and, and Isaac, who's the word is lad. He's somewhere between 12 and 16. He's smart enough to know that, Dad, you know, I, I see the wood for the uh, fire and I, I see the, the fuel for this. And, and, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says to Isaac, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And that could be taken two ways. God will make sure that when we get there, son, there will be a sacrifice there. He'll, he'll provide something. Or God will provide himself, God, a sacrifice. Now, many of you Bible readers, you know the story that, that Abraham pulled the knife. Isaac was on the altar. The, the, the thing was ready to happen. And God said, no, Abraham, stop. For now I know that you Fully obey me and trust me. And out of the thicket came a ram. And, and the ram was sacrificed. Again, a, an innocent animal. Fast forward to the deliverance of the children of Israel. When Moses gave the instruction to all the leaders to kill 
slaughter a, a, a lamb without blemish and take the blood and swipe it on the doorpost and the lentil so that the angel of death, when he passes through, will see the blood and pass over. Beloved, we cannot not acknowledge the blood of Jesus Christ. Nobody wants to talk about sin or the blood. I want to talk about other things. But Christ, when John saw Jesus come, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But Paul is seeking to help the Colossae believer, and by way of the Spirit of God, you and I this morning know who Jesus is. So that if you're asked, anchor person puts a mic in front of you, so who is Jesus? Well, he is, verse 15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You know what the uh, Watchtower Society, the Jehovah's Witness, do with that text? They reinterpret it in their own Bible and they say, see, Jesus is a created being. But the word there in Greek, firstborn, is not about a created being. It's about first in priority or first in position. If you're taking note this morning, that's an important verse that you can argue the point that Jesus has gone with them. He is the image. Jesus said, you know, no man has seen God at any time. You haven't seen God. I haven't seen God. But if we've seen Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father declares him. Has Jesus declared who God is to you? Sure he has. Have you ever read the Gospels? Read the Gospels. You said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so, to know who Jesus is, is to know that he is the image of the invisible God, the first over creation, first in position, that by him, verse 16, all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. And all things were created through him and for him. And uh, we were talking with someone recently who said that they know a, a new believer who, who is having trouble reconciling the God of the Old Testament and his, his stern action toward the children of Israel and just kind of this heavy hand to Jesus and the forgiveness and love and grace that's in Christ. When in fact, the fact of the matter is they're one and the same. Because see, God never intended that the law which was given to Moses, which was given to the people of Israel, which they were given the opportunity and privilege to carry the Holy Scriptures throughout the Word and be a witness to the world of the one true God. God had never intended that the law would make them perfect or, in fact, save them. Their sacrifices would cover their sin. If you read it throughout there, they would uh, atone with the blood and it would cover Kofar. But Isaiah tells us, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. How? In Christ's blood. 
Verse 17, we'll wind it up this morning. I'm running out of time. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. In Christ, all things consist. You think this government is holding this nation together? You think, do you think that governments are holding this world together? Uh, newsflash, guess what? Hebrews, I think we have this one for the screen. It says, uh, Hebrews 1, verse 2 and 3, it says that as in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, that would be of God the Father, and upholding all things by the word of his power. So, what the Bible teaches us is that God the Father has imparted to Christ the Son who, all, who made all things and were made through him and for him and by him all things are being held together that one day, someday, and that day is coming soon, that Jesus is going to say, that's it. I'm, I'm coming back for my church. Interestingly enough, you've heard me share this before, that science, as much as we have been able to dissect and understand life, that uh, the science discovered how to uh, explode an atomic bomb, Hiroshima. They discovered how to place atoms in such a way that they could be uh, fused and ignited. But what they still don't understand is that within the concept or the makeup of an atom, which is all matter, right, is that an atom is comprised of a proton, neutron, and electron. And that these forces actually, you ever try to put two magnets together, they push. And that within inside of an atom, these forces are pushing actually out, which creates energy and, and mass. And they don't know what holds the neutron, electron, and proton together within the atom. They can't figure that part out. Do you know what would happen if Jesus said, okay, that's it, let's just let it go. And we're told in scripture that one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Are you ready for that? If Almighty God was to knock on the door of your heart today and say, I'm calling you home. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Because it pleased the Father, last verse for the morning, uh, in verse 18, rather, he says, and he is the head of the church, the body the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, and all things that he may have preeminence. Christ is the head of his church. The Pope is not the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. The Episcopalian leader is not the head of the church. The elders are not the head of the church. The, it's just amazing to me how we want to incline toward the leadership of mankind when in fact the church is to be run by Jesus himself. 
And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are his body to be sensitive to what God is seeking to do in our lives, in our particular community, and not by, by um, uh, you know, edict or command. Uh, back in the uh, Reformation, the kings were so worried that people would know get closer to God that they wrote out the prayers and, and the government tried to control how people would pray. And they'd say, if you're going to pray, this is what you're to pray. And if you're, if you're found praying anything other than that, you could be arrested or, or taken away. Uh, it was amazing. Back, there's histor- historic times when Christian groups were put under scrutiny and challenged by government policies, there was the Five Mile Act that if you were found outside of five miles from where you lived and you were preaching the gospel, you could be arrested. God was pleased, the Father, by putting the fullness of all of this in the person of Christ. So the takeaway this morning is simply this. Get to know Jesus very well. Get to know him so well that the moment someone asks you, who is he? You have an answer for the hope that is within you. The light is here. The darkness is out there. Education, media, military, and even the church infiltrated with partial truth, infiltrated with an agenda, a darkness. And this is the light. He is the light of the world. Will you pray with me this morning? We'll close. Lord, we thank you this morning for the truth of the gospel and that you have been given by by the Father, the fullness of all things. And that in you, the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily. Oh Lord, how we as your children need to know you so well. We need to know your, your kindness, We need to know your passion. We need to know what you're asking of us in this day in which we live. And Lord, it's hard sometimes to sift through all the the various news medias and the educational systems and Oh God, 
We long to please you, long to be that people that rise up. So today, this morning, and in the week ahead, would you find us, Lord, drawing closer to you, hungering and thirsting for you. We know that if we ask it, you'll do it. So we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. So as we sing this morning, I want you to think of someone that you would pray this prayer for. Someone that You would love to see God just bless their socks off. So as you get that person right here in your mind.